Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Nathan Maines. March has been officially designated by the National Association of Music Education for the Observance of Music in Our Schools Month, the time of year when music education becomes the focus of schools across the nation. Music in Our Schools Month and the events surrounding it are the ideal opportunities for increasing awareness of the benefits of high-quality music education programs in our nation's schools. Here in Pennsylvania, many of these events are led by the Pennsylvania Music Educators Association. I'm pleased to be joined today on the phone by Henry Pearlberg. He's a music educator from the Strathaven Middle School in the Wallingford-Swathmar School District in Delaware County, and he's the current president of the Pennsylvania Music Education Association, or PMA, as they go by. Henry, thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today with you. Tell me a little bit more about PMEA and what you do. All right. Well, the Pennsylvania Music Educators Association, or PMEAs, are known as a statewide not-profit organization, and we have over 4,000 members in it, and we're dedicated to promoting the musical development of all Pennsylvanians. And we started way back in 1933 with just a very small group of band directors, and today we've expanded quite a bit, and we're dedicated to all those that are engaged in music instruction from preschool through college and university, as well as we reach out through to those in the music industry, merchandising, and publishing. And you asked what I do as the state president? Sure, yeah. And, and what I do, first of all, I've been in this position now for the past eight months. I, I came on board as the state president back in July 1st. And um, first of all, I, I get to, it's a great job. I get to hear inspiring performances by just some of the finest student musicians across the Commonwealth. Um, I have the opportunity to collaborate with some of the most dedicated and engage music educators in Pennsylvania. Um, I get to represent Pennsylvania on the national level with NAFME, which is the National Association for Music Education. Um, we, we oversee festivals and fests for students, as well as we work on curriculum instruction, professional development, um, and advocate for, for music education in Pennsylvania and nationally. So you mentioned uh, festivals, and I, I think this is the time of year, if memory serves, and it's been a long time, but uh, students are involved in, in district, regional, and then ultimately uh, uh, state performances through, uh, I assume, still uh, band, chorus, and, and orchestra. Is that right? That is correct. We are in the thick of it right now with our festival uh, season. We began in many of our – we have 12 districts throughout Pennsylvania, uh, and they're geographically um, located throughout PA. And um, it began for many of them back in the fall with um, auditions for students who are interested in being a part of the festival system. And it's um, the audition in the fall. And now we have a three-tiered system, which began in January with the district-level festivals, which started early January through the beginning of February. We're two-thirds through now the second uh, tier of this system. It's the region festival level. Uh, We just finished up with a region orchestra this past weekend. And in a week and a half, we'll have our region band programs. And then finally, it concludes with Allstate. Um, and this year, it happened to be up in Erie, Pennsylvania, the third week of April. Um, it'll be in um, conjunction with our, our annual conference up in Erie. Oh, okay. So basically, we have over, I'd say, over 10,000 different experiences for high school students to go through the district, regional, and states. And perhaps before, maybe you were, if you had participated in it, we now have expanded it to the elementary and middle school level with what we call FEST. And there are one-day events. 
and those are for students, again, in all 12 of our districts who are selected by their directors to participate in the PMA-sponsored uh, fest, which could be a choral, um, a band, or an orchestra fest experience. I think that probably came a little after my time, but uh, I, I remember fondly being involved in, in the festival uh, uh, levels, although I never made it to states, but, uh, but it was always a good experience and, and well worth the time and the energy and highly competitive. I'm sure it's even more competitive today. It is, yeah. It is, um, from my observation, and I had a chance as a high school student to participate in the festival system. Um, from my observation, I can see the students, um, it, for many of them, it's a life-changing experience. The opportunity to work with a nationally recognized conductor, educator, playing literature at the highest caliber, and then, most importantly, I think, collaborating with other students who have similar interests uh, in performing music at that level. When you talk about the impact it makes, I know there have been studies out there that point to the benefits of students participating in uh, musical groups. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some of those, those specific benefits and uh, the research that's out there that really shows uh, a correlation between making an investment in, in music, art, and, and theater programs and how that relates to, to academic achievement? I would think that's something PMEA is uh, working on all the time. Right. Yes, we are. Um, there have been so many studies, I would say, over the past 25 years now, um, linking um, experiences in music programs to uh, not only academic achievement in school, but also um, creativity, um, collaboration, communication, um, decision-making, um, grit, critical thinking, um, multiple ways of, of figuring out a problem, uh, reflecting on, on the performances, and uh, refining goals, reevaluating goals. Um, there have been, um, I'd say, at least hundreds of studies over the past 20 years. One interesting one I had just read recently was a um, University of Kansas study done in 2014 um, with the Nashville, Tennessee public schools, and they, it, it specifically pointed out how students that were engaged in music programs outperformed their peers on almost every indicator with grade point average, um, graduation rate, uh, scores on like SAT and ACT scores, and it also influenced uh, student attendance and discipline referrals, and all to the positive side of, of those um, categories. Um, we find that the more students participate in music, the more positive uh, the results become. So I'm, I'm thinking back, again, many, many years ago, but, uh, but when I was involved, you know, we had, we had decent participation in, in the band and chorus programs in, in my public school. How, how do you see participation rates today, both in your program and maybe as you travel across the state as PMEA president? I mean, where's the trend in that? Are, are more kids getting involved? I'd say it's been holding fairly steady, and, it, and it's despite a lot of um, factors that might be uh, going against it. For instance, um, uh, ever since 2008 when we had the, uh, the, the um, economic uh, recession and schools had to pull back a little bit in the following years on, on budgets, um, I would say that um, student participation, because of those reasons, may have dropped a little bit. I also say in the past, because of all the high-stakes testing that we've been going through with uh, reading and math in particular, um, many schools have had a focus on the preparation uh, for students to prepare for those tests to do well. And, it, and in times, it has come at the expense of the music and arts programs. Okay. But what I've noticed is over the past couple of years, past few years, I think there's, there's been this re-energizing of the value of participation in music and arts, and I think we've held steady through through these difficult times. 
We've been we've been talking with Henry Pearlberg. He's a music teacher uh, in the Wallingford Swarthmore School District and also the current president of the Pennsylvania Music Educators Association. Henry, thanks for joining me. Good luck with the rest of uh, festival season. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me today. PowerSchool is the leading K-12 education technology provider of solutions that improve the education experience for 100 million students, teachers, and parents in over 70 countries around the world. PowerSchool provides the industry's first unified classroom experience, empowering teachers with best-in-class, secure, and compliant online solutions, including student information systems, learning management and classroom collaboration, assessment, analytics, behavior, special education case management, and finance HR ERP. Learn how PowerSchool does all of this and drive student growth. Visit PowerSchool.com. Joining me now is Emily Leader. Emily is also with PSBA and our legal team. Emily, welcome. Thank you. Uh, give us a brief summary of where we currently are uh, with regard to the transgender protections or accommodations. Recently in Pennsylvania, there was a court decision issued by a Western District judge granting a preliminary injunction to three transgender students at the Pine Ridgeland School District. That district had chosen to adopt a resolution requiring students to use bathroom facilities aligned with their biological sex or single-user restrooms that are available to all students in the high school. Um, The judge found that this was reasonably likely to be found to violate the three students' rights to equal protection under the United States Constitution. So while this isn't yet a case that's binding in Pennsylvania, it is a relatively recent and clearer approach to this issue than we've had thus far. What, uh, as we look ahead, what role does Title IX play in any of this? Well, Title IX is the federal law that prohibits discrimination based on sex. And people may remember that last year, the Obama administration issued a lengthy guidance in May of 2016 that required schools to protect transgender students' interests based on their gender identity under Title IX. That was taken to court. The Supreme Court is currently on schedule to hear arguments on this at the end of March when the Trump administration made a decision to rescind the Obama administration's guidance. We don't really know at the time of this broadcast whether the Supreme Court will go forward with the argument and so whether or not Title IX will be treated as prohibiting discrimination based on gender identity is very much up in the air. So you've got the Trump administration changing uh, the Obama administration uh, guidance on this. Uh, everything's kind of up in the air. Uh, what what comes next in terms of, you know, while we're waiting uh, potentially for an additional court ruling, that sort of thing, and districts, I think, are left scratching their head Uh, Do we follow the Obama administration uh, directive? Do we switch and follow the Trump administration directive? Do we follow neither? Uh, Do we just, you know, kind of hope that this all gets clarified and then we'll do something? I mean, what is a district uh, or a school administrator to do right now? It's a very fair question and one we often ask the courts. In this case, I would say that 
the rescission of the Obama directive did not set up a new way of doing things. It merely said that the Trump administration is going to look further into this issue and that they would not be interpreting Title IX in the manner that the Obama administration did, requiring accommodations and permitting um, students to use facilities and go on field trips and use and room with people based on their gender identity. At this point, what we would continue to tell our our district's members is to treat each student individually that comes to you with a request for accommodations, to work with the students. Those that are considering policies similar to the one in Pine Ridgeland should probably carefully review the opinion in that case and perhaps hold off on adopting that kind of policy since this case still has further to go in the courts. There's no prohibition against the districts that have adopted policies that permit transgender students to use facilities aligned with their gender identity, so those can just stay in place. There are some privacy concerns that get raised by people who have issues with transgender students using facilities aligned with their gender identity, and schools need to also pay attention to and accommodate those students to ensure they have some privacy that they may seek. So it sounds like we've got um, some direction, not a lot of direction, a lot of confusion. And despite one court now weighing in on a very specific case, uh, really the best advice is uh, consider all of your options, consider where things stand today, and certainly take a very cautious approach uh, to any change in policy before making it. Is that, is that I fair? Would, I would agree with that. And in addition, just remember that uh, PSBA tries to continually update our members through the daily edition and through articles on our website at www.psba.org. And you should generally be able to find out what's happened across the country on these issues in the courts by going there. So a fast-moving issue, a lot of changes, many things to come. Uh, we'll keep you posted and we'll find out more. Emily Leader with PSBA, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. The Success Starts Here campaign has been up and running since September 2016. Its mission, of course, is to spread the positive news about public education. One story highlighted through the campaign has been a pen pals program with soldiers overseas in teacher Anne Negrini's classroom at Ole Valley Middle School in Berks County. And Anne is joining me by phone right now. Anne, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Great to have you here. Your class has had a pen pal project uh, earlier in the year. Can you, can you mm-hmm. tell us more about the project? Sure. Um, well, I actually teach eighth grade American Foundations, um, which is obviously a social studies class. Um, it starts the French and Indian War, and we work our way through the Civil War. But we do spend a lot of time talking about the positive impact that the Founding Fathers had on our country Um, And I try and really relate that to my students and and just get the message across that even though they're young, um, 14 years old is not too young to be able to make a really positive impact in their school, in their community, and in our country. And so it was brought to my attention early in the year that one of my eighth graders, um, a young man named Gunner, had a father who had been deployed for about nine or ten months 
um, in Kosovo. His name is Michael Wegscheider, and he was the deputy commander of um, an infantry unit um, in Kosovo. He was there on a peacekeeping mission. And being the daughter and sister of two combat veterans, I really love any opportunity that I can to, you know, support our troops and, um, of course, make it a learning opportunity for our students. So I reached out to Mr. Wegscheider's Gunner's mom first to ask her permission, um, and then I reached out to her husband in Kosovo, and we emailed back and forth about what would be a good way for our students here in Oli to connect with some of the soldiers he was deployed with. And so what we decided to do was just make it an optional assignment, um, you know, and I, I had just hosted a great big Veterans Day celebration at our school, so it was kind of on everybody's mind and really always in everybody's heart. Um, and I allowed kids to just to write letters to veterans or to soldiers, not really veterans, but soldiers who were actively deployed, um, you know, and tell them a little bit about themselves and ask, of course, some questions about their experiences overseas. And students just really rose to the occasion. I think almost all of my students wrote a letter. Um, we worked on editing the letter and then, of course, packaging them all up and sending, sending them over to Kosovo to Mr. Wegscheider. And he was kind enough to distribute the letters um, throughout his base. Um, and, and the letters went to all different kinds of soldiers, not just um, United States soldiers, but also international soldiers as well. So that's kind of how the program got started. And, you know, it just ties into our message about positive impact and acts of kindness sure. and being an active citizen. Sure. And I understand that, that following the letters being received overseas, uh, Several of your students, at least, had responses, and even uh, some kind of care packages came back yeah. from the soldiers. Yeah, yeah, the students did it, you know, just because it was a kind thing to do, and it was exciting to hope for something in return. But they knew that there was no guarantee. Uh, but the large number of students, the large majority of students, received letters, and a few of them even received packages. And it, it was something so exciting to get that package and get those letters in the mail. It literally felt like Christmas morning. I mean, kids were so excited. They couldn't wait to find out if one of them, if they themselves were going to be one of the kids that got the letter. And so we opened them up, and um, the packages and letters were just wonderful. I mean, very emotional to read how long some of the soldiers had been away from their family. Some of them were very young, you know, in their early 20s, and they were on their first deployment. Um, some of them were, you know, much older and had families with children who were the same ages as my eighth graders. Um, and some of the packages included candy or they included notebooks and pencils and things the kids could use here in school. But some of the more emotional, you know, experiences or gifts they received came in the form of medals or badges or patches that they had sent to my students that would represent themselves and, and their, their rank or their, uh, you know, their actual job in Kosovo. And it was just, I think we were all just, you know, part speechless and part, you know, completely excited about this experience because it made it so real for them. We were, you know, it just became, it became a great learning opportunity for that, for the kids to realize that their letter had a positive impact on the soldiers. And now in return, they were getting something that was really so special. Well, it sounds like an amazing program. Uh, what, what advice would you have for uh, other schools that might want to take on something similar? What, uh, what should they watch out for? Challenges? Uh, I imagine logistically it's a little complicated to, to get letters uh, yeah. from the students overseas easily. So, you know, how would you go about this? I, I think we were so lucky and so fortunate to have Mr. Wegscheider as our connection. Certainly that facilitated the whole process 
you know, very easily. And, you know, just you have to always be careful. You know, you always want to make sure that the student's safety is protected. So, you know, students didn't use their last name. They weren't giving any mailing addresses of their homes. They were sending everything from school here. Um, but I, anytime you can, A, support our troops, it's an incredible learning experience, and B, just like I said, encourage students to recognize the fact that, you know, one small act of kindness, a simple letter on a piece of notebook paper to a soldier overseas can be so rewarding on both sides. You know, I, I always say to my students that, you know, the greatest lesson of teaching social studies is not their ability to memorize dates and names and names of battles and things like that, but it's really to become an active citizen um, and to develop ideas of their own and to recognize that there's a lot more world out there than just little Ole Valley where we go to school. Um, so I, I fully support any kind of supportive programs that, you know, involve soldiers and supporting our troops um, and really any program that would support kids doing acts of kindness and um, recognizing that they can really make a positive impact in the world. Our guest has been Ann Negrini, Ole Valley Middle School teacher, talking about their Pen Pals program, uh, a great program, a wonderful experience, it sounds like, for the kids. And thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the chance to talk about my great students. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.